to people who are watching uh, this morning. I think I'm supposed to give a big cheesy pastor grin right now to the camera, but nobody really wants that, so uh, we won't do that. But we're glad you guys are with us as well, and hope it's a meaningful time uh, for you uh, as well. We are going to be periscoping, videoing, live stream, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the next you know foreseeable future. Uh, just make sure everybody knows that, and then also the service will be available in a day or two each week on the website as well. I want to start with God's Word this morning. This this is one of those weeks where the curveball for me, we've all had our share of curveballs the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, some of y'all have some great curveball stories. Uh, it was one of those weeks, and if you know me, because I'm a Myers-Briggs P, which means spontaneous, this happens uh, about once a month for me anyway, but on Thursday, I was putting the final touches on my sermon, and God said, uh, you're not preaching that Sunday, <laughs> so start all over. So I did, and so uh, the theme this morning, or my goal, maybe is a better way of saying it, is just to like read and, with God's help, speak His Word over you this morning. I hope that's the effect. Uh, this morning. Um, so if it looks like I'm going in a couple different directions, I hope it won't feel that way because in my mind there's a stream flowing through it. But whether it unites in the way I hope it does or not, hear God's word this morning. That, that's my desire for you. So let's pray and give it to him. Father, this morning we just proclaim that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. You are trustworthy in all your promises and faithful in everything you do. So God, as we live our lives mostly in the ordinary and mundane, occasionally in times that are so different, would you just call to us this morning a renewed vision and understanding and commitment to your kingdom and the life that Chris and Chad and Ben have already been communicating through what you've given them that we live in a rich place. Father, this morning we, we want to remember and recall that there are people who are really struggling right now. So we lift them up. We lift up people who are sick, who have this virus or others. There's Plenty of other bugs out there. Perhaps they feel isolated. Lord, I was thinking this morning as the library was closed and just the number of people for whom the library is a bit of a sanctuary for them and how that's been removed. Uh, I've thought about people who live in senior living centers, who many of whom can't have live visits from family members and how isolated they may be feeling. Lord, we lift them up to you, and we pray that you would give them that garden that's flourishing and abundant. Father, we, we don't want to be unaware of the hurt and the anxiety and the trouble that people are experiencing. Father, we hold them up, and Lord, we sometimes count ourselves in that number as well. Help us to be renewed in our knowledge this morning that you are a good, good God, and you can be counted upon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So that passage I prayed out of Psalm 145 has been my weekly uh, reflection this week. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures for all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, faithful in all he does. A couple weeks ago, our brother George started our Lent season and stated, I thought eloquently, uh, that Lent is the temporary removal of something good in order that we might look to the better. My words, not his, but just paraphrasing what he said. You know, when the year began, I don't think any of us had any idea, you know, what the first three months of this year would bring. Um, The virus, the pandemic that's visioning our world uh, was unforeseen uh, by most of us anyway. The removal of something good so that we might seek the better. Like sports. Yeah, for some people, that's created a crisis. That's been, I mean, for some of you, it's like I can't imagine that. You know, but for others, that's been a part of the rhythm of their lives, kind of the going and coming is oriented around sports, and that's been removed. For others, it's a bit more serious. It's been their health. Good health has been removed from them. Or the threat, the reality of safety that maybe we feel sometimes has been removed from us. Maybe we even call it sometimes a disillusionment that... There's nothing that could threaten us has been removed. The removal of something good so that we might look to the better. Jesus proclaimed that reality over and over, did he? Not. Look to something better, seek something better. And his followers have been doing so as well. Paul said as much in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, We're wasting away. And we are, you know. Whether you get the current bug or not, um, you're wasting away. I hate to break it to you, but your body is wasting away. Yet, he says, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, such as what we're dealing with right now, they are achieving for us And don't miss the language here. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All those other glories that we depend on. Health, wealth, prosperity, success, safety, kingdoms of men, whether it's the chiefs, the royals, America, India. Whatever kingdoms we are prone to put our hopes on, Paul writes, there's an eternal glory that far outweigh them. So, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is unseen is the reality of God and his kingdom, alive and well, present and available to us. For anyone who wants it, anyone who can stand it, as my mentor used to say. And then Paul says, for what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. That's the kind of glory we have. 
that unseen eternal. And eternal doesn't mean one day, someday, out there. That's not what Paul is referencing. It means the reality of God, of Christ, right here, right now, for you. It means God is never going to leave you. He's never not going to be fully present. And Paul wants to say to us, get used to that. Make that your new normal. God is with you. Eternal glory in Jesus is being achieved in your life. Get comfortable with it. Get to know it. Get to know Christ. The psalmist knew it when he wrote, To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be, and this is such a tragic statement, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Cindy and I got a letter this week for some people that we love deeply. They wrote to tell us they wouldn't be part of our work anymore because they no longer believed in God. We were really, really deeply saddened. It wasn't really surprising. Uh, we, we've been part of and watching this trajectory in their life. I think what saddened me so deeply was the finality of it. It was no longer stated as a struggle. And I found myself wondering what will become of them when their hope is gone. When the storms of life steal whatever it is they're hoping in today, what will become of them? For there's no enduring hope without faith. Hope is not possible without faith. Without faith, you're going to eventually run out of hope. They're brothers, they're sisters. We hope in what we believe in. And God's word says clearly if you're placing your hope in anything other than Christ, that's a pretty risky thing to do with your life. I want to talk for a minute about a man who lived a long time ago. He became a spiritual grandfather to a lot of people, including all those who follow Christ. Many of you know him. His name is Abraham, old Abe. Abraham was called by God with his family to leave home and journey to an unfamiliar place where God promised through his lineage he would establish a source of blessing to the world. I mean, try, try, you know, try to just get your head around what I just said. He was called by God with his family to leave home, to go to an unfamiliar place, to establish through his lineage a movement that would bless the world for generations. That's a lot to swallow. I'm not sure I could stand that. And Abraham and his wife Sarah had a problem. If you know the story, they weren't able to have children. Lineage didn't seem possible, so Abraham took matters in his own hands. That didn't go very well. So now they're a hundred, and Sarah's, Abraham's a hundred, and Sarah's ninety. And God's promise is still there on the table. It's still there, unfulfilled. So I want, to, I want us to hear Paul's commentary on Abraham. It's just a little snippet 
from the book of Romans in the New Testament. Paul writes, against hope. Abraham in hoped believe, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred, and that Sarah's womb was dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief concerning the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the ability or the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him as righteousness, were not written for him alone. Get this part, but also for us. How about that? To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. One who is delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Just a couple of reflections. Well, five. That's more than a couple. First one is, faith is anchored in what is really there. True faith is anchored in what is really there. Abraham, in hope, believed and became the father, became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Abraham's faith was not grounded in wishing this would come true. It wasn't like children believing in Santa Claus where we like, Santa Claus exists because children believe in him. It wasn't like that. Abraham believed because God had spoken to him. He wasn't just hoping things would work out. The source of Abraham's faith was based in reality. Of a speaking God. Just as it had been said to him, Paul writes. Abraham heard God's voice. And so he believed. I begin with that psalm this morning, Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom this morning, in order to illustrate uh, the importance over and over of returning to what God has said. Over and over. When things are shaky underneath our feet or feel shaky, it's so important we return over and over and over to what God has said. It's so important that we return to each other over and over again and strengthen each other with words in prayer. I'm going to say a few words in a few minutes about the importance of prayer right now in our lives as a community. We have to return to God's Word because that's what endures. Not what's in the paper. Not what's in the news. God's word endures, not the state of the world, not the world's ambition, nor its troubles. Those don't endure. Number two, faith is often counterintuitive. It's often countercultural. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Circumstances said to Abraham and Sarah, it's impossible for you to have a child. Good night, you're 100 years old. No woman has a child at 90. Medically, it was virtually impossible. But medical didn't get the final word. The Department of Health didn't get the final word. 
God did. God's word endured. Biology ran out of hope. If that's what they would have been looking to, science, they would have run out of hope. But they stayed with what God had said. Abraham placed his faith in God who had spoken to him. I am sure a lot of people thought Abraham really foolish. Continuing to have faith in God. And you know, and the reality is we should readily admit, even in the church, there's been a lot of people who've claimed, to, they've said God spoke to me, and when in fact God hadn't. We can, we can point to those. We probably can point to them in our own lives. You know, maybe you can look back when you were younger and you were just sure God said something, and you, you matured and grew, and you kind of went from maybe, maybe not to, ah, I think that was just good lasagna that night. I don't think that was God at all. But that doesn't mean God doesn't speak to people still, because he does. And when he speaks, faith is required, always. When he speaks, faith is required. Our faith must be anchored in what God has spoken, what he says, what he thinks about life. It will often go against what culture is saying. It will often go against what our heart may be telling us, especially if we're spun up in fear or frustration or anger. God sees things clearly. We don't. And we don't have to carry that weight of always seeing things clearly. I let go of that responsibility a long time ago. I'm not always going to be right. I doubt you will either. We can count on God and what he's spoken. Number three, faith, and this is really just another way of saying the same thing. Faith fills in the gap of what is presently unseen. For many years, think about this. Abraham's faith was unverifiable for many years. The thing God had said to him had not come to pass. It was a big gap. The only thing that could fill that gap was faith. It's all Abraham had. Against hope, in hope, he believed. Surrounding him was no hope. Faith catalyzed hope for Abraham. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, faith is the very substance of things not seen. In other words, if you could chemically break down faith, which only Wesley is the only guy in the room who could understand that mathematically, if you could chemically break it down, the essence of the things of faith would be you can't see it, not with these things. Number four, faith pleases God. That's simple. Paul says Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded God had the power to do what he would promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's an incredible thing to say. It was credited to him as righteousness. Do you know if you've placed your confidence in Jesus, that can be said about you. It has been credited to you as being righteous. Sit in that for a little while. That's not a cold, hard doctrinal statement. 
That's an expression of love. It's an intimate relational statement. It was credited to him as righteousness. He was friends with God. He was with God. He was in community with God. He was participating in the life of God. Why does faith, why is it that faith pleases God? Why not something else? Because faith is a simple expression of trust in a relationship of love. It's just a simple expression of trust in a relationship of love. Faith and trust don't always get everything right. Abraham didn't. But they're always required in a healthy relationship. Always. Trust. Relationship. Faith. Without it, it's impossible to please God. How could you? You're not in trusting, faith-filled relationship. You can't please Him without that. You know why? That's what He wants. It's what He wants for your life. It's not so important that you accomplish great things for Him. What He wants is a faith-filled trust relationship with you that's driven by love. The other stuff will take care of itself if that's there. It'll find its place. Number five. I did them pretty quick, didn't I? Number five. Faith feeds the furthering of God's kingdom. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Abraham believed. The movement began. Having faith does not guarantee success. Not worldly success. In fact, living in faith can be very costly to your life. If you choose the way of faith of believing in Jesus, there's going to be times it's probably going to really cost you in different ways. It has been for those who have gone before us. Why would we expect it to be different for us? But where faith is, where faith in Christ is, God is active. He is at work. He uses us. Sometimes it makes me laugh that he does. But faith possesses this exponential component. A little bit of faith, all that's needed in troubling times. You don't have to have a whole lot. A whole lot's better than a little, but all it takes is a little. A little bit of faith will get it done. You know what? The kingdom advances with a little bit of faith. It'll advance around you. It'll advance in you. Trust in a loving relationship. Placing our faith in anything other than God. Sports, your degree, science, your health, our future, yourself. Those are some pretty shaky foundations to build your life. Those things are going to disappoint you. They're eventually going to fail you. Especially when the storm's coming. And they are coming. I don't know if what we're in is a storm right now. Maybe it is for you. But they are coming. So I'm going to close with a story Jesus told about storms. You might know it. Listen to his words. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came. The streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. Yet the house did not fall. 
because it had its foundation on that rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is talking about two simple things, two simple actions. Everyone who hears these words and everyone who puts them into practice. Sounds simple enough, right? Hear God, do what God says. It is pretty simple. Is it easy? That's up to us. It's easy if we let it be. I don't know about you. I have, I have a history of making a simple complex. been doing it since 1960. It can be easy for trust and faith. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. Hear God. Do what he says. But there's a catch. There's a catch. And we can't not say it. You can't do what he says. Unless something is true in your life. And Jesus, you can read that whole sermon he's giving, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he describes what that has to, has to be true in your life in order for you to actually be able to hear God's words and actually live them. Read that. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mountain, and we don't have time to break it all down. But I, want, but I want to quote one thing from him before we quit. Jesus has been describing the kind of people who get it. Chris referenced one about being poor in spirit this morning. He lists others, those who mourn. Those who are hungry for righteousness, those who have mercy, those who are meek, those who are pure of heart. He was saying, these are the kinds of people that are identifying with my teaching. They are actually coming in, they're coming near. And then he says something that it's so easy for us to like make nice words with, but it was really outlandish for him to say it. He said, you are the light of the world to these people who were getting it. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, he says. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So let your light shine before others, that you may, others may see your life, the good works of your life, and also begin to get it. Glorify your Father in heaven was the way he said it. Sitting and I get the Lawrence Journal World Something magical happens at our house every Wednesday and Sunday morning. Like these, this thing shows up in our driveway. I know some of y'all haven't seen one of these before, but it's actually paper. And um, so this this morning, uh, I want to show you the headlines. I don't know if you can see it or not. 
that the headline is Living in the Virus Shadow. That was, I mean, that's a great preacher fodder right there, if there ever was. I mean, I, I was so excited when I saw it. That's a very, and I'm not here to diss the headline of whoever wrote that. Um, it does feel like a shadow for a lot of people. And, you know, truth be told, if I get it, it'll probably feel like, it'll be moments it'll feel like a shadow to me too. So I'm not making light of that. If one of you get it, you may feel like a shadow. And it may feel like a shadow to us around you too, right? All I'm saying is that's a very different message than you are the light of the world. You know, we don't, we don't know where this current thing's going. Uh, it'll come. Probably it will go. Um, we can look at other places and get some idea. But there, there's no guarantees, you know. It may mutate and turn into something worse, you know. I have no idea. But here's what we can be sure of. God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion is one that endures through all generations. You are trustworthy in all your promises and faithful in everything you do. This is the kingdom that Jesus has made available to us. Everybody who can stand it, everybody who has the eyes to see it, the ears to hear it, who who receive it, To these people, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So God's word says to us this morning, you don't have to live in the shadow of this. You may feel it. That's okay. Don't live in it. It's not God's vision for your life to live in it. You are the light of the world. Not because you're so special. Because you have met the source of light, Jesus. You are learning the way of his death and his life. And in those ways, there's light. Jesus closes his sermon, mountain sermon, with this. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That's the sentence Jesus has been working the whole sermon to get to, by the way. That's it. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the the religious system that the people were aware of at that time, that crushed them, that said you have to perform, and the only way to perform is by faking it, because nobody can do it. Unless your righteousness goes beyond, surpasses it, which is what Paul was saying, credited a loving, faith-filled relationship is yours through simple faith in Jesus. So we keep coming back to that in challenging days. We keep coming back to simple faith in Jesus. And He meets us there. Old Abraham and Sarah went beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They believed. They placed their trust in God and since then millions have done so. They had no idea what they were igniting. Simple faith. Christ brought the righteousness to us. We say yes to Jesus. The righteousness is ours. He made it simple. It can be easy. 
Let's keep circling back to Jesus during this time. Let's just keep coming back to him. Let's keep coming back to God in prayer. Let's keep reminding ourselves what he says. When we do that, to remind you what Paul said, he is achieving for us an eternal what? Glory. You know, you know what the word means, glory? It means shiny. It means shiny. Something like what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. Our momentary troubles are achieving for us in the kingdom of God an eternal glory that far outweighs whatever else might be going on out there. That we can count on. Let's count on it. Let's be there for each other. Let's be there for our neighbor. Let's let our light shine. Our elders met yesterday morning. And Chad had the word of the morning. He said, we ain't hunkering down. This is mission forward time for us. That's exactly right. We're going to be careful. We're not going to be stupid, you know. I'm not going to hug you this morning. It's hard. We're going to be wise as we know how. But we're going to be light. Let's pray God will give us the strength and grace to do it. Let's pray. Father, we return to you again in simple faith, saying what you say is true, what you do is right, what you've invited us to is enduring. Your word stays. The flower fails. Our bodies decompose. Our futures fail us. Our plans get removed overnight. Our ambitions crush us. Our troubles threaten us. You endure. Your word endures. We look to you, Jesus. Would you do in us first, through us secondly, your work. May we be light to the people you've placed in our lives, in our ordinary lives. May Jesus come and make himself large. Give us grace so that we might continue to have faith. Your word is true and it is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before, uh, before we worship, I just want to uh, leave you with a, just an admonition. I may already have. Uh, but we're, we're committed to walk through this season in our community together. And uh, now, if it gets really bad here, we may have to go to all video. We don't know. You know, who knows? As much as we can, our, our desire is to stay having services. Tonight, our staff is going to meet, and we're going to come up with some times that we're going to make prayer available to you. It'll probably, I haven't met with them yet, but it'll probably be some combination. There'll probably be some times where our common place, our office, and the training room there will be available. Uh, someone will be there and just, we'll, we'll post those times and say, if you want to just come in proximity and pray with some people, um, we'll be there. We want to be there to just ha create gathering uh, times. There may be other times we may say, uh, we're going to host a 30-minute prayer online. And you, you, you can check out those times as well. We're going to offer to you, 
the opportunity to host one of those, whether it's online or say, yeah, I'll go to the, I'll go to the common place for, uh, for an hour and host that. So uh, we're going to work those details out tonight. We'll communicate them over the next, you know, hopefully 24 hours or so uh, on, through an email. Um, but we want to make that available. If, if you are, I want to say this too, if like you or someone watching or you know someone that's just really struggling, um, we want to come pray with you. I'll be glad to come anywhere you invite me and, and pray with you. And we have other people who feel the same way. Uh, we'll come to your home uh, and pray with you. So do not let this isolate you. Don't do it. That's what the enemy does. Don't let it isolate you. Uh, let's, let's walk through this together and in our community. We've reached out to the Ballard Center. Marley reached out to them and said, how can we help? We don't know. We, we as far as I know, unless you heard something last night or this morning. Uh, but that's just one example. If there's, we can't do everything. We know that. But we're, we're on the ready to serve our community as Christ gives us invitation and opportunity. So be praying for that. Uh, may we have wisdom, but may we also have courage. Not, we don't have to be brave, just be courageous. You know, we don't have to be uh, bravado. Just exercise courage, have faith. God will lead, lead us.